This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So how have you been? Oh, I'm good. I am. Yeah. Are you in I'm, any more trouble? Oh, me? Yeah. Uh, would you like to assist me in uh, the next batch? <laughs> it's been a few weeks. Well, um, I never want to get in trouble, but I do seem to get in trouble quite a bit. <laughs> but you don't want to be. No, I never want to be in trouble. Okay. Hmm. I've never, I've never been. Um, what do you call it? That sort of person that wants to shit stir. A shit stirrer. Yeah, I've never been that person, but um, I always end up um, hmm. sort of. End, be, I end up being portrayed that way a little bit, I think, because I get into a lot of trouble and I'm a little bit. I think I've got a smug face. I think that's what it is. Okay. Do you reckon? Do you think I've got a smug face? Well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out your accent because the UK, from from my point of view, the UK is just like basically the size of half of an American state. But there's so many different like, yep. textures of your your language. You know, there's the Queen's English, and then there's all these little not dialects, but different inflections and and uh, accents. So what's your? Yeah, maybe I'm, that's the smug part. No. I'm from Essex. Essex. Okay. Essex is down southeast of England. It's near the bum of England. Oh, okay. Like so, the butt of it. There, there's that. There's also Wales, which is kind of like that's the other side. Oh, okay. Okay, so you're on the east side. Mm hmm. Okay, so you could probably see a Breton, uh, kind of if you peered through the mist of the of the Nile or the Isle. Channel. It's a channel. <laughs> no, I don't know no. what you're talking about. Well, uh, what am I supposed to say? France. Oh, Brittany. France. Yeah, I don't know if we can see it. We can see Kent from where I am. But we, we can probably see France from uh, Dover. Okay. But, but not from where I am. Which is Essex, not Sussex. Yeah. So okay. Kent is at the bottom. And you'll probably, well, I don't know if you'll be able to see France from now. I've never looked. Oh, really? Okay. Have you been to England before? Uh, just through Heathrow or the airport um, as I was making my way to uh, uh, Austria. Um, Ooh, 10, that sounds 10, interesting. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time. Saw some good art. And, uh, did you? What yeah. kind of art did you see? Well, I saw my first Vermeer in in person, and it was like my eyeballs were licking a, a, a chocolate bar. <laughs> it was so gorgeous. It felt so good. It was just this kinetic experience that I never felt my eyes being treated like that before. Yeah, I've, I know the feeling. Like some, There are some things I look at or some things I even paint that make my eyes feel good. And I've been saying that for years and people don't understand what I mean. It does. It's, it's a good sensation to look at something nice, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I mean, that, the sensory or the sensual aspect of visual art 
is really missing from the discourse or the art criticism discourse where we talk about beauty or the aesthetic and the abstract, but there's actually like a physical uh, transference of pleasure in beauty. And also, you know, if I, I saw something on, on Reddit, um, you know, on the page, there was this guy with this crazy uh, wart disease and there was a picture of him and he basically turned into a tree. And I looked at it and at first I was like, well, that's interesting. And then I, I looked at it a little too long and then I just felt we like I had this feeling inside of me that I had to kind of like kind of sigh out of me because it was really visceral. It wasn't just grotesque, but it was really just visceral. So, you know, the, the communication, the sensory and the sensual aspect of just images are overlooked when we consider it in the abstract. It's very powerful because like when you look at something, you can you imagine your other senses with it as well. So what you described to me, I imagine what would that be like to touch or what would that be like to have on your body? And I feel like um, if I look at a really nice painting with people in it, or even without people in it, you put yourself in it, don't you? And you imagine what it's like to be in that picture. Yeah, so the, the conduit of uh, the imagination, like reconstituting or, or putting you into that reality is really, really profound. And now that we're immersed in images so much, we can see that on a massive scale, like with the internet collapsing space and time. Uh, you see a video of somebody crazy uh, acting thousands of miles away from you, but you're right there. You're in their head. You know, those crazy libs of TikTok videos or the stuff that we both deal in. You get into their head and even though they're not a threat, you feel you put yourself there. You do have a reaction to it as well. Like, I think that's why everything is multiplied on the internet. So if you see something that you don't agree with, it puts that fight or flight response in you, doesn't it? You, you you react to it in that way. I wonder what that was like before the internet when people had to see actual paintings up front. If it was a painting they didn't agree with, would they have just like, what would they have done? Like punched a painting? You can't punch that if it's on the internet. You can't just go, oh, I hate it. <laughs> you can't just do that. Well, but there is, uh, what is it called? Iconoclasm we still participate in that. We have Im images create very strong reactions in us or political circumstances make an image change uh, its properties, its social properties. And there's a lot of iconoclasm throughout European history, especially I studied that actually. My first course at Evergreen was just studying uh, how, how political dimensions and social spaces bore down on the act of destroying the image. And I think we do that on the internet too. It's just we use another image or we deface the image somehow or turn it into a meme or you know, we, we bracket it in another context, right? Snark, perhaps. Yeah, I feel like that's interesting what you said about the political context of it changes because I feel like that happens with my art a little bit online. So the things that I am portraying in my art would have been completely meaningless 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And now they're, the topics that I'm covering in my art are sparking a strong reaction. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's the interesting. The icon behind you of a dinosaur has a particular significance now. 
uh, it due does. to women's uh, women's what, what would we call the kind of the women's movement uh, currently in in Britain. All of a sudden, they adopted the dinosaur. I think somebody called them a bunch of dinosaurs. Yeah, David Lamin Lamy said that um, women are a bunch of dinosaurs holding the holding rights. So okay, that I mean. I've painted dinosaurs before, but it felt different when I painted one this time. Really? Yeah. Different in the intention or different in the... Different in what it means. I mean, yeah. when I've painted dinosaurs or, or put a little dinosaur in my painting before, it's always been cheeky. It's always been to put a little dinosaur in there. It'd be fun. But now I put a little dinosaur in a painting and I know it's not just fun. It's It's got a meaning. It's got a meaning to other people that means something else to what it did 15 years ago. That's what I mean by it's interesting though, isn't it? Yeah. The, I just published or I will be publishing right after we're done here, an interview with a friend of mine, uh, well, at least a fake friend of mine, an internet friend of mine. We haven't met him <laughs> fake <person>. friend. <laughs> no, I didn't mean fake, but like a simulated friendship we have because we, we interact through camera and audio and text. Um, and we, we dove, it's vocal distance, and we dove very deep into uh, the iconography of our, of our age and how the image, um, the image is overtaking the statement, uh, the image is overtaking the word at this point uh, in a certain respect, and the image doesn't have the same properties as a sentence. A sentence can tell you something very specific. Language de was designed to do that, and of course you can be a poet or, or a prophet and, and stuff ambiguity in there. But an image, his example was an or a picture of an orange on a table doesn't tell you anything, but you can start to have, there can be symbolism in there. There can be meaning in there, but it's not explicit unless there is a context around it or a little plaque on the side that tells you this means that, but those, that those statements, this means that are in words, they're not in the image. And when art is politicized or art is made for politics, it has a different texture or a different way of conveying sense or conveying meaning that doesn't translate into a policy necessarily, but it, it starts to cause affiliations like with the, with the, the dinosaur means an affiliation now, right? It doesn't mean anything yep. other than a cheeky reference or, or at first there was snark to it, but the women owned that. And now they yep. dress up in dinosaur costumes and they harass people who are very frail <laughs> in the emotions by standing on street corners. Um, Right, because how powerful that they've become because of that group dynamic. So I'm just wondering your experience of watching your art go become politicized or become imbued with meaning. I've had a lot of feelings about that. I think um, sometimes I'm not sh quite sure where I stand with it because I didn't, when I first started the portraits of the women that I like, that wasn't initially a political point to be made. That was a celebration. And here's all the people I like who are doing something important right now. Some people might argue that is political. Well, if they're doing so, things that are political, then... 
right so some people would argue that's political um and when before i did that when i was like quite a lot more hardcore on the left which i don't consider myself to be that hardcore anymore um i did get a lot of stick for not being more political with my art and i used to make the argument that i don't want to be political with my art because it's my escape and it's the escape from the madness of the world but what i seem to have done now is jumped into it with my art a little bit i'm still jumping out of it a little bit with the paintings i see the digital and the painting as separate worlds as well so my digital art is very much um me praising and celebrating the things around me that i think are positive in a time that is really really dark in a lot of ways hmm. and then this stuff my paintings that is just another world that okay. is not this world that is not where we are and it's it's a nice place to be sometimes yeah could you describe that word in feelings or um that's a hard question i think it depends yeah. on the on the day as well i probably have different ideas every day but i think that world is a lot quieter in terms of the the noise around us that we experience now with all the overstimulation so i do a lot of detail in these paintings and a lot of fine lines and stuff but it when you step back from the painting and you look at it in my opinion it's a quiet space to be it's it's very lone it's lonely in a way but it's nice mm. it's comforting safe space mm. i did a lot of do i never um pursued art too much but i did a lot of doodling for a few years and the, they became more and more ornate and i remember one day i was in this cafe i think i was a little stoned uh, this is back in the <laughs> 90s okay um and i was i i i got myself into a corner where i had to make a very perfect line and i my imagination summoned I think it was Picasso or, or other artists to, to say, okay, well, there's a standard there. There's this kind of like this background standard that it is possible, but you have to, uh, you have to achieve that. You have to, I had to put myself in a position where I could completely control my hand. And I drew all my drawings with these specific pens, these big round stick finds. They nice. don't make them anymore, but um, there, there's a lot of different properties to trying to make very specific shading and lines with it, and it's always kind of bleeding, so you have to constantly be wiping the pen. And um, I just remember the, the stress in that line, um, and then there was other lines where there was less stress. And I wonder when you talk about detail, how do how does your body feel? How does your mind body connection feel when you're engaging in something where you're really having to do it correctly? Okay, there's two things. So it's very intense. Like you can't come into my space when I'm drawing like that, especially on a painting. But at the same time, um, I think this is the closest thing I can get to meditation if that makes sense. I'm completely, I don't know what the words are. I'm completely all one. It, it's all doing it naturally. Mm. Does that make sense? But mm. it's not always been like that. I used to try very, very hard with my drawing and my lines. And it's only through repetition and painting for years and years and years that I just sort of developed a system. 
So I've got an order that things go in. I've got all my lines are drawn from this way to that way. Some people draw them whatever way and canvas has to be a certain angle. And so I know what I'm doing. I've got a system for myself and I don't see it as very different to the way people speak. So everybody has a speech pattern, don't they? And the way they say their words and they've developed a system uh, of the way they connect their words to their brain. It's kind of like that, I suppose. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Does, uh, when you're in that space, is there surprises there? Is there kind of some sort of communication or, or, uh, journey that you're on and sometimes i mean i start off very in my own head and sometimes i get more in my head but it's not in a stressful way and then sometimes i am just what is what is the word you're good with words what's the word when people got into the pinnacle of their meditation there's a flow state is really common that is uh, uh, proto-religious it can describe any I think I think it can be like that but I don't want to say it like that because it's pretentious it's incredibly pretentious of artists to claim that they've um, reached some sort of higher state while they're doing their art I think it's a bit wanky isn't it it's a bit icky (laughs) but there is a little bit of truth to it there is yeah I was uh again going back to my recent college experience I I went to Evergreen State College and I decided that I was going to try to write a novel for every course that I was in. And one Amazing. of the novels, uh, so I was just always just producing and producing and producing, just like no stops, just keep on going. And I got into a flow of it and I would written a lot before then, so I didn't have to work on certain mechanics of sentences and stuff. And I kind of had the basic knowledge uh, to, to kind of, create that system where I could get into that state. And there was this one character that I found. She was, I think she was in Sussex or Sussex, Sussex. I think she was in Sussex. Um, It was, it was 1750s and she was in a, one a very early version of a madhouse or a mental institution. And the doctor had told her just to write, just to write it, just to write. And she had this way of, writing that was tidal it it, like like this ocean where she would just go and go and go in this churning and I got into this place where I started to be able to channel her or hear her and when I tried to explain that to my professor she's like oh so were you you know tried to she was trying to talk about that artistic um that romantic artistic um idea and there is a truth to it but it's also it's not like the character doesn't exist or isn't me but there was some quality to it where it's ineffable and i think it conveys itself on the page i think that particular work that however many words it is that character just has a richness and depth to her that 
is far greater than many of my other characters because I had a different relationship to her. Maybe because I was in love with her in a way, um, not not romantically, but I, I had a sense of of love for her that she was reflecting back to me. Was there an element in it of wanting to be like her in was, terms of being the her ability to write? It was it was like a fascination with somebody who could who didn't have to worry about making sense. She didn't have to worry about because she was crazy. And so she just was and her mind would go wherever her mind wanted. She didn't have to tell a story. All the different things that I have to do as a writer, you know, tell a story, make it make sense. It's just like it, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Um, what matters is is trying to convey the rich experience that I feel, which is crazy. Um, is it like, I mean, do you have to be crazy to not follow the rules? Well, are there not consequences for not following the rules? Well, of course there are, but like, I, that made me think of um, when I was in school, um, I used to do, my art's pretty much not changed that much since I was in school, and I, I'm very big on the thick black outlines on everything my teacher told me off in front of the class and she said you, you don't do black outlines in art that's not art and I remember I don't know if I said it but I remember thinking but Van Gogh draws black lines on everything what are you talking about but then he was crazy so he's allowed oh, okay yeah yeah the, so the, but uh, then I think yeah. do you have to be crazy to not follow the rules of writing or do you have to be crazy to not follow the rules of art well it depends on the purpose of the art so you, with writing specifically you have to make sense on a certain level for people to pay attention to you because they have to That's get true. into a state where they follow your thinking with painting you have a little bit more wiggle room but you still have to capture attention and hold attention before you can change or affect attention with painting you can basically do anything as long as you can bullshit your audience into buying it <laughs> right <laughs> well if you're talking about like abstract expressionists they put that <laughs> all the way to the ceiling yeah for sure yeah yeah but th that bullshit and the pr so there's pretension and there's romanticism about madness and creativity and the genius and then there's the pretension of of selling things and uh, which is really interesting because I was listening to this documentary this short documentary on Larry Fink I think his name is he's the head of BlackRock okay. which basically is the most powerful organization or corporation in the world they own everything and wow. what he did because he had some failures over time and after the financial crisis in 20 2008 uh he decided he turned he 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 went after fine art and he made that a commodity where people would trade buy and sell sell shares in art so that this art had this this other value this monetary value that was completely distinct from art history, from you know, the, you know, the biography of the artist, even any sort of religious meaning or any sort of social meaning. It was abstracted into the realm of finances, which is satanic in a way, but also you have to navigate that. I have to navigate that as somebody who, uh, as people who traffic in attention, art is something that, that people 
pay attention to and then form an emotional bond. So there is, uh, you know, a manipulation or persuasion going on there and then translating that into beans and mashed potatoes or uh, <laughs> sausages and chips or whatever you guys eat out there. Um, you have Definitely to not beans and mashed, mashed potatoes. Oh I was thinking of Helen Pluckrose. Okay. What, what is a uh, cuisine from your city? Well, I mean, people do eat beans and mash, but you ain't going to see me eat it. <laughs> okay. Jesus. Okay. I'm not a monster. Okay, no. All right. But you still have to eat something. No. Well, I mean, chips and beer does pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I want to, I want to visit you now. I just want to eat chips Yeah, you and need beer. to go down the seafront and get chips down the seaside and have a beer. Okay. That's nice. I'll have to make some art to do that. But you still have to... You have to translate that somehow. So how, what were some of the lessons that you learned in order to be a professional artist or to be able to afford to make art? And... Blimey. Um, well, I've been, a, I've been an artist for 10 years. And I think when I started off, I was just like swapping paintings for a bottle of vodka and stuff like that. I was a little bit... But that is, now, that is pretentious. But is that is the... what I did in my early 20s. Okay. I don't know. I just, I just, I was a little bit wilder, I think. And I, I like to party and I swap okay. paintings for drinks and I went out. And then, you know, I, for a period of time, didn't make money on art. So I've had jobs and stuff in between. And there's always been a wrestle because when, when I was on the scene I've just come from, which was like the music scene and it's hardcore lefties. And I don't know what else to call them. And I know people say, oh, you shouldn't say left and right, but let's just for now say okay. hardcore lefties. There's a lot of frowning upon making money from your art in the art scenes and the music scenes. And it's not a good thing to do. Okay. Um, they want it to be political, but they don't want it to be uh, monetized. That's an interesting dialogue. So it has to have uh, social political meaning, but it can't have financial meaning. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of founding upon it. And then there's a lot of um, not so much goodwill if you succeed because you're a sellout, right? Hmm. So it's it's a bit of a complicated thing being an artist, but yeah. especially if you do make money. I, I still see artists now that talk to me and they say, oh, you know, um, I'd love to sell my paintings for this and this and that, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dream of doing that. And I'd... I kind of feel like, why wouldn't you want to sell your paintings for a lot of money? Why wouldn't you want to make a lot of money? And they, they talk about it as if it's dirty. Like mm -hmm. you're, um, you're, you're compromising your integrity if okay. you sell your art. Yeah. But I don't, I, if you want to be an artist and you want to be prolific and you want to make a lot of work, yeah. you're going to have to make a living and make time for this art. Yeah. So th did you yourself have to change your attitude on that or did you just kind of naturally say you know what i'm gonna do this it came it came naturally but also there was some changes to my attitude because i do come from a scene where it's found upon and i had to overcome that within myself if that makes sense because i felt i used to feel bad for making money on my art i used to sell bad for selling a painting and now i realized that i'm selling a product it's a thing that somebody wants and it's not just a product like 
when you go to the shop and you buy shampoo. It's a product that has a lot of meaning to, and has resonated with somebody deeply. Yeah. And they want that and they want to keep that. And they've taken that part of a moment in time that you put into something. So you put a bit of yourself into it and they've bought that and taken it home with them and they're going to cherish it. And it means something else to them now. It's rehomed. Yeah. And in a way, that there's something beautiful in it. Well, and I'm sure that the philanthropist or the art, um, what are they called? The, the people who support artists. Oh, what are they, I can't remember the name. Oh, there's a fancy name. Um, the patrons of the arts, duh. Um, I'm sure that they receive pleasure in paying because they know that that's yep. translating into you being able to do more and yep. have a, a emotional connection so the money from them not in every case but i'm sure the money from them is packaged with emotion so a meaning there's more than just financial meaning in the money too going back so there's this yeah exchange. and i experienced that as well because i like to buy art so i'm on the yeah. other end of it where if i see a painting that somebody's done and they're selling it on the street and i love it i'll buy it if i can that's if i've not Spent all my money on chips and beer, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, when it comes to your art, you have um, paintings of, or what? What are they? Paintings or pictures? What of, of women? Yeah. You have the women yeah. pictures, uh, and because I know not, some of those are it's digital. It's not all women. It's so. mostly women. Okay. Yeah. I've done some blokes in there as well. Okay. Well, what, what was the, the, you kind of describe what that is about? But what? is the meaning of doing that and then what's the what's the experience of taking a face of somebody that you know of and then turning it into uh, an icon okay i'll break that down into two parts so shall i tell you why i started it yeah okay so why i started it was because i felt like i couldn't really express myself on social media very well like I can but it wasn't going down very well some of the things I was saying some of the women I was supporting some of the things I was doing it it wasn't going down it, it got a lot of backlash and I feel like instead of just going online and shouting my mouth off why don't I just make art because that's what I'm good at and so I did and the first thing that came to me was or why don't I draw the people that I appreciate or the people that are important to me at the moment, the people that are saying something that resonates with me right now. And especially as we navigate what's going on in our cultures, because we've got similar things going on. Um, I wanted to be able to put forward the things that I'm hearing and the things that I'm reading and things that I'm experiencing and see who else is catching the same thing. Does that make sense? Who mm -hmm. else is encountering the same people with the algorithms on the internet? Who else is hearing the same things? Who else agrees? Yeah. You know, it's just, um, what do they call it nowadays? A dog whistle, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the cool kids call it, isn't it? Well, the, yeah, the cool kids are the very smart people, depending on <laughs> what, how you want to think of them. <laughs> um, but so there was an aspect of community or community seeking um and yeah i think this. so i okay. think i don't think i realized that till you just said it but i think that would be true yeah and there is a difference between there can be cheesy ways of turning people into icons there can be pseudo religious things and i think the problem with art or 
not the danger, but the power of art is that it does draw upon, uh, it can draw upon very deep emotions um, and it can surpass the mind too. Um, I underestimated so, that. Okay. All right. So I that's... did. I under. Is that? Do you know what? I feel like I done. I feel like I picked up a magic wand and I just went around pissing about with it and then done a load of shit I didn't mean to do. <laughs> that's what I feel like I done. How? 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 I just feel like I was a little bit reckless and um, I did not. Um, anticipate how strongly some people would react to what I'm doing. I, Both I, positively I was, and negatively? Yep. Oh. Yep. I just did not realize. Maybe I should have. I don't know. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you never know until it happens. The funny thing about being an artist is that you could die, never known. You could just be tooling around for years, never known. And then accidentally somebody discovers you or you discover something. And then you're right in front of everybody. <laughs> like, wait, I yeah. dreamt about this and I let go of that dream. But now here it is. Now, now I have to deal with all this stress. Um, but what was it that people reacted to and how did they react? What are some of the stories or, or All right, so the first reaction came from the scene I've just come from, so the musicians and the artists. They hated it. They said all the usual stuff. It's bigoted, it's anti-trans, it's a hate campaign. Because it was they, one picture was of J.K. Rowling. Yeah, so yeah. that's the one they reacted to the strongest. They... um few people went online and made public posts urging everyone to mass phone the police on me because what I'm doing is a hate crime and I need to be prosecuted. Oh, wow. A hate crime. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we got that here. I don't know if you've got that where you are, hate crimes. Um, people try to beef it up. There, there's forms of it, but it's not really a thing. Uh, but I don't think it should thing. be a thing. I think it's a dangerous thing to have government. I think uh, it is because morality. a crime is a crime, right? You commit a crime, you get convicted of it. That's no. it. There shouldn't be another label to make it a special type of crime that's worse than all the others. We all know what crimes are bad. Yeah. Well, in well, they're the all realm bad, of art, I suppose, and I've had a little bit of wrangling about this recently, there is defamation that can occur or label through the caricature or other forms. So there is some sort of legal value in visual art. But in America yeah. specifically, we're pretty anything goes, um, though you can get social re repercussions and consequence culture. If you, uh, go after a racial group that, that is a no, no, um, or, uh, accentuate people's racial characteristics in order to slander them because of the history of antisemitism and, um, anti blackness. Um, but you didn't do that. Your picture of JK Rowling is a nice drawing. Of yeah. I think all my drawings are quite nice drawings yeah. of people. I didn't I didn't quite understand it at first, but with regards to things like that, the, the negative side of what's happened, that's 
I I suspect is more personal than it is about whether or not I believe in this new spiritual religion. I think it's um, the people hmm. that have gone after me, I know very well or I did know them very well. So, But there's a lot of people now going after me on the internet that just join in because... I don't know who they are because you know what it's like on the internet. There's a lot of fake profiles with anime pictures and trans flags and BLM and all that stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pronouns and I won't stand for bullying and they're the biggest bullies going. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so the personal consequences are much more valuable or meaningful than these public or pseudo-public consequences. Yeah, I think maybe. so. I think they're much... Well, I think they can be, uh, but also... I'm the sort of person that if if I get kicked for doing something that I want to do and it's not hurting anybody, then I'm just going to do it again regardless of how much you beat me for it. Does that make sense? I'm just going to keep getting back up and do it again. In fact, I might even do it more. Yeah. I'm that person. Yeah. Unintentional it's, shit stirrer that you are. Well, it's not that I want to be like yeah. that. Because I've spent a lot of my life very much trying to, like, to being a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. But what I've come to realise in my grand old age now is that there's really no point. There's not a lot of point to trying to make sure that people are not going to be upset by you because somebody always is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So i just got to roll with it and accept myself as who I am. What did the negative reaction to the J.K. Rowling specifically uh, drawing uh, picture um, teach you about th- those people and their belief? Uh, not not necessarily like the personal uh, personalities, but the belief system. Did that teach you or show you something that you were not aware of? Yeah, it taught me that the belief system that I didn't realize at the time until this happened it gives people permission to behave in ways that they would frown upon in every other area of life apart from in that belief system and i think people enjoy it and they're getting power out of it or a sensation of power and i didn't realize that until this happened so now i'm very sort of aware and i still obviously i'm still doing the drawings i'm still doing the paintings so it hasn't stopped me but it's made me very much more understanding of what it is i'm getting into every time i put a piece of art on the internet does that make sense so Mm. i'm a little bit more i'm a little bit harder about it now i'm a bit tougher Mm -hmm. i don't really care what people say and so you've seen that people can act good um, when they say they're doing, or they can act bad when they say they're doing the right good thing. That's the, this, there's this weird kind yeah, of yeah, they disguise it as yeah. yeah, they disguise it as um, they're trying to save people, aren't they? They're trying to save them. They're trying to save their souls. Yeah, or it's, save them from exactly suicide that. is one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did did you um, become aware of your uh, your virtues, your values in this, or say, wait, I yeah, I, I mean, I, I wanted to do that at some point too. And I, even if you didn't, and I'm not accusing you. I don't mean to accuse you of that. But. <laughs> no, I, I did become aware of where I come from and where I'm going. So I've always grown up being quite 
very much politically on the left and I've never really been heavily political until around about 2013 and I put it down to there hmm. when um, you started getting more politics on Facebook and things like that and then I became yeah. very heavily political on the left because that is all around me I was on the art and music scene everyone's on the left so what, was your, issue very, what very, was your um, your method of lefting <laughs> my method of lefting um, being an arsehole I think just basically dismissing people that are on the right or even remotely on the right, anyone who disagrees with me, hmm. didn't want to hear it. I know I'm the goodie and you're the baddie, end of. Okay. And now but I you'd think have to express that over and over and over and over again. Yeah. To exert that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I thought I was right just because I wanted to be a good person and I wanted to do good things, so I care about other people. I care about people that are living in poverty. I care about education and whether kids get free school dinners or not i care about all that stuff i still do it's just that how i approach people and how i deal with people is very different because i have rehumanized people that don't agree with me whereas they were dehumanized before does that make sense your art was a process of rehumanizing people in, in, well, you could in, say that. I don't know. Maybe I was okay. trying to appeal to the people that were still in that mindset and show them that these are real people. Hmm. Maybe you there know, was an element of that. Yeah, no, I think that that's a very profound insight into the power of art um, and maybe why it was such it was reacted to so strongly in a negative sense is because they had specifically with J.K. Rowling um, had imbibed a narrative that this is a bad person so much that she shouldn't even be considered a human. And then when you humanize her, I don't think you deified her. There's a difference, but you might have in some but people's But that's what minds. they say I'm doing. Okay. They say yeah. I'm deifying these people. Um, but I don't think I am. I think I'm humanizing. Yeah. Yeah, but th there's, there's a... When we go towards the positive, and I like to explore like like the strange reactions, if there were any of of a positive nature to your art, and then wrangling with the uh, the deification or the overhumanization, uh, perhaps that would occur because images are so freaking powerful; they can destroy they really and are. build up. Um, so, what are some of the positive things that you, that you were shocked I think surprised? I don't know if I've got anything that will shock or surprise you. I think most people that respond positively to my art, that my favourite thing that people do is wear it. They put it on a t like put it on a t-shirt and they wear it, or they have it up in their home. Um, I think that is about. I don't. I don't know what more I could ask for as an artist. I mean, that's the most positive thing you can get is people having your art in their homes or wearing it out in the streets. And I think that's very brave as well in this day and age. It shouldn't be, but it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know if I've got anything that will surprise you, though. I don't okay. think anyone's messaged me saying that the picture made them cry for days or anything yeah. like that, you know? Or they put it on their altar or something like that at home <laughs> or something like that. The, they've built a church there. and yeah. the centerpiece is my picture of J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anyone's done anything like that. I think it's been pretty... It's, it has been an extreme difference because the negative has been up here and the okay. positive has just been a constant, sure. steady positive, okay. you know? Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, there's this uh, there's there's a way in which art can also be really cheesy. There's these photos floating around of like the gender critical church and what they had done. Whoever did this photo would take different people's faces of their heroes in the GC movement and then Photoshop them onto a specifically religious uh, stained glass window. And it was just really cheesy. It's like something's a little off here, you know, like the these saints. Um these heroes of, of this particular cause. And I don't get that sense from you, but I think it's because you're reinterpreting it through your own style. And, and it's a conversation um, that's really in the moment because your style is of this time. How yeah, did I think you develop I'm quite in the moment. Style, um, by the way. I'm, what, with the digital art, I'm still developing it. I only okay. started it when I started the pictures. My picture of Magdalene Burns was the first digital piece of art I've ever done, and the J.K. Rowling was my second. Okay. So I've never done digital art before then, so I'm still learning it. I'm still getting my head around Is all the this Burns stuff. one used quite a bit in people's profiles? Yeah. Okay, that's the one. Oh, you're the originator of that. I did not know. Yeah. So I just, um, that was my first one learning. Um, I was just trying to figure out how to use the iPad. Mm. I've never had an iPad before. So now I'm, I'm still consider myself to be developing a style with that. It's not as solid as my painting style, which I've been doing for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. So it could change at any moment. Okay. And then with your paintings, um, I don't even know how to ask this question because every artist already has a style or is pursuing something. I remember a story of, is it Cezanne? The guy with the fruits. Um, and he would just spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to get a pair right. And the pair doesn't look like a pair in the real world, but it has a completely almost hyper real quality to it because he puts so much attention into crafting this thing. And you can really tell, that's the thing about live art you can really get a lot closer to the human hand that had yeah. imbued that object with that amount of attention that is really it, lost. With the digital art, you take that part out of it, don't you? Because that is not there You can't unless you get a print, but it's still not the same as having a painting and yeah. putting your hands, you can touch it, you can touch the brush strokes of the paint, you can... Mm -hmm. You can Don't do that see... in the Louvre, though. We're not telling you to go. <laughs> no, I mean, you might get in a bit of trouble if you do that. So, so but, no, yeah. I just didn't want to get liable for telling people to go touch. Yeah, but I was just adding a joke to the end of that, mate. <laughs> I know, and I was adding a joke to the joke. <laughs> that you had. But you were like, we can't joke on my channel. This is we serious. Joke. I don't want to get sued. No, this is very serious. Every time I joke, I get in trouble, and we are not here. But you know what? Joking is forbidden in this new world, isn't it? Is it? You're not allowed to be funny. Have you not seen how comedians get treated and stuff? Comedians won't make any funny jokes now. Huh. Well, some do, but then they get cancelled for it. Well, Andrew Doyle has done pretty phenomenal. Oh, he's done very well for himself. Yeah. Yeah. There's a market for the brave. Uh, which I is, think there uh, really is. Yeah. And do you know what's ironic about it? There's a market for it, but people are scared to step into it. And I'm, I don't understand why. Like, Not just from that perspective, but also from if you value your integrity, then you'd step up, right? You'd say something, even if it's... So even if a million people don't agree with you, you've said it. They're mm -hmm. done. You've done it. 
Well, you know, there, there's a question of to what degree people are self-censoring. Um, there's a question to what degree people are not. Um, and some people are told to, I got told to self-censor early days. I got told not to say a word about this because uh, it would affect my partner's career. Okay. So, but I did not. So you were comply. kind of threatened. Yeah. Not threatened, advised, friendly advice. Oh, okay. Strong? But, uh, strong advice. Okay. But it was very much in in the um, light of preserving my partner's career and not damaging his reputation. Mm-hmm. But there Is you he go. like Wait, a medical I've doctor or a lawyer or No, something? he's a musician. Oh, okay. He's a musician. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the arts, so, okay, yeah, and so that entire scene is controlled. the The thing about this thing that I'm just going to call wokeness right now is just really interesting because it is a mass psychosis, or it's a mass it really racism, is. and it, it really weeds out dissenters. Or, like I was going to say, not people. It's not just that people are cowardly or people are you know, self censoring, but maybe a lot of people just don't have strong opinions on this and just kind of go along with whatever. And it's like yeah. I don't really have an opinion. I'm not. A person who has opinions, which they are the silent, strong type that we always overlook, especially in the realm of discourse, which is all built out of people who have opinions and <laughs> will stand up to this or that. Thing. Yeah, I suppose I'm a bit more um, opinionated than I thought I was. Do you know what? I always used to get called opinionated when I was a kid. And I never used to know what it means. It used to really piss me off. It's be like, <laughs> what do you mean I'm opinionated? What do you mean? But I figured it out as I got older. Well, oh well, right, well, okay. They well, what they mean is I've got opinions and I don't shut up about them. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. How have your... Uh, so you were... You said you were hard lefty and that you were acting um, asshole-ish. Uh, I think so. I mean, I thought yeah. I was... I didn't think I was being an asshole at the time, but I think if I'd encountered me on the other end of the screen now... I would think that person's an arsehole. So what was the Probably. middle step? What was something that uh, awoke you from that uh, behavior? I just noticed things that weren't right. Like, like with the, okay, so with the women's rights and the trans thing, that started because I got diagnosed with PCOS and I wrote about it on Facebook. And it was more of a, it wasn't a look at me, I got diagnosed with this. It was more of a, Women and girls, this is what you need to look out for. And because I addressed the, state, the status to women and girls, a man in the comments section started having a go at me because I was excluding trans women. And I said, well, you have to be female to have to be at risk of PCOS in the first place. And that escalated. That was a whole argument. It ended with him calling me a Nazi and saying that this is the worst thing he's seen since the white supremacists in South Africa. It, it just escalated, oh, and okay. I was blown away. I mean, I already kind of knew something was going on, but didn't know it was this bad. So it started there. I started thinking to myself, what is going on that it's okay for a man to come to me and be so angry 
I don't think men can be at risk of developing an ovary disease. So that it started there. And there were other things too. Do you remember when um, Jordan Peterson was on the news because he was standing on that table outside the university shouting yeah. and talking about free speech? I agreed with him when I saw that. But here's a thing that happened. A lot of people around me thought he was a Nazi. So I stepped away from it a little bit and I didn't speak up or say anything. But I did agree with him and I didn't listen to him or look him up or anything like that till a few years later. And I, I listened to him again and I didn't agree on everything, but then I listened to him some more and then I started to agree with more of what he says and think about things a bit more. And that, and it wasn't just him. There was a number of other people I've listened to over the years because I like to listen to things when I'm painting. I also mm-hmm. like to listen to things when I'm out running or when I'm in the gym or whatever. So I listen to a lot of stuff. And it was through listening to people that I thought I wouldn't agree with that made strides with me. And it started to make me think, well, why wouldn't I have entertained this argument a few years ago? Why? There's, you know, I might not agree with it, but there are some points to be made and there's a middle ground. And if I don't have a discussion about this, at least, at the very least, with myself in my own head, how am I going to evolve? I don't know. So, yeah, I've made some progress somehow. But Hmm. I think it's been through stepping into the world of things that I don't think I'm going to agree with. Okay. Uh, With an attitude of uh, at least openness if not just like the willingness to entertain another idea oh it's i kind of agreed with things like when jordan peterson said what he said about free speech and not being compelled to say something that you don't think is true i agreed and i brought it up one time after a gig with some other musician and i said about free speech and somebody snapped back at me well you can't have free speech without consequences and that was the end of the conversation and i remember thinking that doesn't feel right but I wasn't articulate in my thoughts enough yet to be able to express that I think that's not true um, in all cases um, and that there needs to be a bit more thought around that before just cutting it down and saying we don't need free speech. Does that make sense? So there's been a lot of things like that that have changed me and people like Andrew Doyle. Andrew Doyle's been brilliant. When I started listening to him, I thought, brilliant. Um, I can't think of who else. Joe Rogan's been a big one. Hmm. Absolutely fucking love Joe Rogan. <laughs> and he got he got me through some, like listening to people like him got me through some hard times as well. Like really? I used to listen to him on the way to work at like three in the morning. I'd get up, I'd go to work at about four in the morning and I'd have him on my headphones, sit on the bus, go to work, listen to him on the way home. There'll be still, because he's like three hours long, I'd go out for a run after work and still be listening to the rest of his podcast. And what I liked about him is his openness to people. And he's willing to have a conversation with virtually anybody about virtually anything. And I think I've always had that in me, but I stepped out of it when I became politically involved. I don't really think I was that heavily political, but I was in a way... And I think that happened through social media. Does okay. that make sense? So I think in there was something I think about 
your political journey that made you feel more closed uh, to people or closed off? At, uh, I think I was, yeah. I, th- I didn't think I realized it, realized it at the time because I was surrounded by people that agreed with me. Yeah. So I had an echo chamber, and especially on the internet and on the art and music scene I was on. And um, I think by stepping outside of that and realizing that not only is that a small number of people, but that is not even 1% of the varying degrees of opinions out there and thoughts and perspectives and the way people think and how they've come to their conclusions and what what have made them see the world they see the way they see it, you know. So, mm-hmm. and I've always been interested in that sort of thing, but I think I got a bit closed-minded and I think social media has a lot to answer for in that way. I'm not going to lay the blame all the way at social media's feet because you've got to have some sort of way of thinking or personality type that would be inclined towards falling for that sort of thing. And I think I had that. I think I was in my early 20s. I was pretty pissed off at, you know, like a lot of early 20s are pretty pissed off at being poor and the injustices of the society you live in and all that stuff and you want to stand up and say something. But I don't think I was directing my energy in the most positive ways. Mm-hmm. You said Joe and Co. got you through some rough times. I was wondering if that had to do with having to um, accept the fact that you can't be in a peer group that doesn't yeah. allow Yeah, that. Yeah, and, you definitely right on that and I didn't think of that till just then either I didn't realize but yeah that that is absolutely it because I I had already heard a few of his podcasts previously and I liked them but I started really listening to him when I got cancelled and you know I was going to work at three in the morning and all this stuff because nobody would find my art anymore and um oh okay I yes I got a job that's what you do. If nobody buys you art, you get a job. <laughs> and um, I'm not complaining about it. It was an all right job. And But the listening to Joe Rogan, it really helped me feel that there's a bigger world out there and there are different people. And I think it's dangerous to close yourself in a group and, and keep yourself in an echo chamber. And I think social media fa- facilitates that so strongly, mm. especially to people that are very... Like, if you're an artist or a musician, everything goes through social media. Everything mm-hmm. you do goes through that, and all your connections with people a lot of the time can come from that, so it's very dangerous. I made a mm-hmm. joke on Twitter recently. I said that I... Um, yeah, jokes, you're not allowed to make them. <laughs> but I said that um, I had made a comfortable echo chamber for myself on Twitter. So yeah. and I feel that way. I feel like... I. Am I echo chambered again now? Do I need to step out of that? Do I need to? And how would I do that in a way that doesn't create devastating consequences to me in my life? Yeah. Yeah. There's a trade-off. Um, uh, the, the relationship one has, especially as an artist or as somebody who is trying to make their way in the digital space on a professional level, is that it's all about audience and you build your audience, which is basically an echo chamber. And you'd have to figure out or be lucky enough to do something either apolitical or polypolitical, something that you can go around into all these different groups and pop your head over here and pop your head over there. But there are certain people in certain groups who see you as violating 
the echo chamber, if you pop up in that echo chamber, if you are, they accept you in that echo chamber and then they automatically assume that you will agree with everything in that echo chamber. It's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've around, had that like, already. I've yeah. experienced that. When I did, um, I did a portrait of Buck Angel and I did one of Fionn Orlando and that, that was not good. Mm. That, I mean, so I mean, there are people that appreciated it yeah. and appreciated it for what it is, but there were people that gave me a hard time for it, and that got to me because I wasn't. That wasn't long after I got cancelled, and um, you're like, oh no, not again. <sighs> yeah, I was like, I didn't come out of that to go through it again. Okay, you know, that's that's my mindset. I didn't come out of being cancelled and going through this personal transformation in terms of. The ch- like realizing that there's more out there and there's more to people than you think and that it's interesting and I want to know about people to be shut down and told that I have to conform to another group. That's not what I'm going to do. I didn't go from one ideology to another. That's not how I want to live. So how did you um, change your attitude when you found another cancellation opportunity at your doorstep? Well, I just um, I just came to the conclusion that I've just told you just now that I'm not going to go for it again. And you can put me through it. You can so, try. Yeah, emotionally. Okay, but yeah. you can, you know, people can cancel me again if they want. They can put me through it. But I'm just going to keep doing what I do and do it how I want to do it. I think that's the only way you can fight through having to have an obligation to be ideologically um, loyal. To anything and i don't want to be loyal to any ideology because i'm exploring mm. i don't want to be tied down i don't want to be told that i can draw this but i can't draw that it's not up to you i draw what i feel is right at the time and i could be wrong in the future there might be people that i draw today that i don't agree with later and i, I accepted that when i started the drawings That um, attitude toward exploration or curiosity is uh, maybe maybe the technical term is openness, but I'm not really sure. Openness to uh, new experiences is not the same thing as actively seeking them out. I wonder what is the relationship with that and your creativity, or if that was what compelled you to begin to produce I reckon there is a correlation between openness and creativity because you've got to be somewhat open to be creative. You've got to be curious, haven't you? Do do you see, is there, is there art that you see that is coming from a closed, uh, not necessarily your own, but is there, is there any examples of closed art or art that isn't? I mean, what do you mean by closed art? Do you mean like politically closed or emotionally closed? Yeah. Well, I just I'm looking for if there is an openness to creativity, what is the, the what opposite. is the art that is yeah, what's the opposite of, of that that would be you know, show up in, in in art and I think I bet there is some art that is I think if very... you look on the front page of Netflix you'll probably see a few examples. <laughs> Do you reckon it's that sort of art is not very open? Well, I it seems I'd have to be the to case think that, about it. Yeah, I'd have yeah, to it, think about in, in the narrative space. There's like, okay, here we go. There's going to have uh, another lecture about the meaning of what we're seeing and watching, and how I should feel bad, or this is the 
person that needs to be filled good for or something like that, which is just boxed in in that the narrative has to serve. Uh, it, wouldn't that be like motive. on the borderline of propaganda? Yeah. Yeah. It's basically propaganda. So it's. Yeah. I get accused of I get accused of doing propaganda. Okay. Well, are you not? Could it not be the case that it is? Well, I thought about this. I thought, yeah. I thought about it, and I thought, um, I don't know if it's propaganda because I'm not trying to sell anybody anything, like okay. ideologically or politically. It's you take it or leave it. Um, and I think if it's propaganda, you're trying to get people to emotionally and mentally buy into it. But then I thought about it some more, and I thought, well, every artist is trying to get their audience to emotionally and mentally buy into it, right? So I don't know. Is it propaganda? I don't know. Well, I, there's layers of propaganda. Did you draw J.K. Rowling with like a, a globe in one hand and stomping on a trans flag <laughs> and like with the no. snake wrapped around? Her no, see, this hand? is yeah. that is that is what, where I would say my art is definitely not propaganda because I didn't, I don't draw like that. No, like yeah. I said, um, I think the humanizing people is what I was trying to do, and yeah. I don't know if that could be disingenuously classed as propaganda. Well, if if the subject and um, what I'm thinking of now is just the picture of J.K. Rowling's face, right? It's just her face. Magdalene Burns is yeah. just her face. So with those two, what is the meaning of a human being is the question. How can an icon of a human being have a very specific ideological purpose to it. Hitler would be one uh, person who's been assumed by the icon of an ideology. There's probably Stalin, there's big dictators, you know, and then political figures like Obama has a network of, uh, and they even used a painting of uh, Obama in his first run with hope on it. It's a very iconic oh, drawing of him. He's looking up over there. So that has a political significance. But when we're talking about somebody like J.K. Rowling, we can say, well, what does it mean to have a picture of J.K. Rowling? What does it mean to have a piece of art of just her face? Well, what does she stand for? Well, does she? do we base what she stands for on her actions, on her books, on her political statements? And to what degree do we read into those things a standing that's not there or that challenges uh, a previous understanding or a narrative understanding? So making that, because she's a charged figure, her and Rogan and Peterson are very very powerful people in the metaverse or in the virtual sphere for whatever reason, for a number of different reasons. Peterson's charisma, Joe Rogan's openness, and J.K. Rowling's previous brilliant uh, generation-defining uh, artwork. Uh, all these cultural products are very powerful, and they're light, lightning rods for a particular uh, relationship to certain discourses. Um, and so they are seen not as themselves anymore by their detractors. They're dehumanized. Their yeah. Well, even, even people who, I don't, I don't think Peterson, I think it's unfair to categorize people who follow Peterson as groupies um, because he actually challenges more people than he causes them to accept them. But he's got a little bit of glamour around him. Um, it definitely has. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he said it himself has made that, um, uh, people accuse the fans of being in a cult towards him, but he sort of justified it saying that a cult needs a cult leader and he's not participating if there is a cult. So there can't be a cult. Yeah. Well, 
I, you know, it's like uh, the life of Brian, you know. He was accused of being a messiah, and he did everything he could in his power to stop it from happening. But it, the, it was the will of the people to have <laughs> Brian as the Christ, right? So uh, there's only so much divorcing one can do um, against their persona, uh, especially when it reaches a certain mass. Speaking of that, on the other side of being an internet artist and having opinions, what is your relationship with how people see you online, not just enemies and friends, but is there like this brand or persona that you're kind of conscious of uh, cultivating or, or uh, understanding? Um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty much myself. Yeah. I've learned to just be myself on the internet and I, you know, I've had a lot of, cause I, well, I grew up with the internet to an extent. Like I didn't get social media until I was like 19 or something, but Mm-hmm. So I've learned to just be myself and that's all I can do because everything I've learned in the last few years, if, if people are going to hate you, they're going to hate you regardless. Okay. So, and if people are going to like you, they're going to like you regardless, hopefully like you unconditionally, not on the terms that you agree with them. But some people do like you on the terms that you align with their views and there's nothing you can do about it. Hmm. Is there... Um you brought up pretension uh, earlier on in describing the artistic process and uh, something to be aware of, but authenticity is also, uh, can be a bee in somebody's bonnet, a search for authenticity or something like that. Have you been conscious of that, especially post twenties? I don't know. I don't, I've not thought of it that way, but I do think um, this, the, the narrative around authenticity has been overblown I think like people think that everything's about searching for your authentic self nowadays, isn't it? And people don't want to hear it, really. I mean, it's all about, it's all me, 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 me. Okay. People don't yeah. want to hear it. But at the same time, like, if you want to be authentic, you've just got to do it for your actions and the way you live. Okay. And speak and draw. Oh, yeah, that too. And that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, I think like with the internet, the, the way I write on there is pretty much the way I think and the way I talk. So something I would say would go on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, there's a, a certain sort of person who behaves that way that I find most trustworthy um, in a way where I, I just feel open to them. Um, yeah. Maybe that's why I asked you to come on my show. Um, not just because of your opinions, but I sense that other um, play. Uh, I thought know. it was because my amazing art. Well, it is your amazing art. <laughs> Money checking. And I'm going to have to put that in the frame. Um, so I'm going to have to get some stills from you, if you allow me. Uh, I don't know how copyright works in your country, but. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know either, so. You're going to come after me? No. Nope. Okay, good. I won't you, come after you. Don't you worry. Be, beyond the art making and the Twittering, what other uh, things you do? D- did you say you play uh, music or you just are one No, of my, my partner people? plays music. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's a musician. I don't really do much other than art. I mean, I'd go yeah. run, well, I was going running. I can't run anymore because I've got shin splint. I go oh. to the gym. I do kickboxing. I do a oh. bit of karate. Okay. And that's about it. Everything else, okay. I, everything I do yeah. that's not art is physical because I don't like sitting around any longer than I have to. If I could 
grow extra arms out of my body if I could take a tablet and loads of or clone myself like 10 times and just have a workshop of lots of me's doing all my paintings for me I would do that so that I could just go out oh but but that is that is not a thing I have to actually when if I've got a picture in my head I have to get that picture out I can't leave it in there that Hmm. has to that has to come out and then I do the painting and no matter how long it takes it has to be done with these hands i can't there's no other way i can do it so everything i do that's not art i like to try and focus on physical things because i don't like sitting or standing around too much Mm -hmm. is also it's uh, it's important for me to be healthy as well i've not been that healthy lately so it is important to me what was you gonna say are you on the mend yeah i'm on the mend i'm on the mend i'm getting stronger now been in been in the gym loads been doing what i need to do so good over time paintings become a world you said that you, you mentioned that it was a world but do you see um, it is a world kind of a narrative or something bigger on the horizon or is it just glimpses of one little thing is it just sequences? yeah sometimes i feel like if you lined my paintings up from start to finish the first one to the last one there is a story there for me I don't know if other people will see it that way. I think um, a lot of my paintings look like they could go in a storybook. Mm-hmm. It's that it's got like a childlike or an innocence to it. And I think it, you could make a story out of it. And I thought about that. I thought about doing a series of paintings that tell a story. That would mm-hmm. be nice. Do you, have so a, just, do you have a story that you want to tell you? I don't know yet. I'd have to write one, wouldn't I? Because I was just going to do it intuitively and see, like, start somewhere and see where it goes. Because I've done that a little bit before where I have this world, this world here, mm-hmm. and it's the same world every time, but there's new things happening in it every mm-hmm. time. So I feel like there's a little bit of storytelling going on, but it would yeah. be nice to make it coherent and make a series. The The hack for that without words would be to paint the same character to focus on a character and have a character go through different um, things. Uh, just so follow character. whenever, you know, I would dish out writing advice, which I hate writing advice, but <laughs> the thing is you, you, you take a name and you put them somewhere doing something and then you just follow. Right. And I think that that translates in, in words or in images or anything. It's just that that's the thread is, is the, is the human or the, the entity, the, the main character through which everything occurs or the world. You can have the world being its own thing too, but you usually kind of end up having characters in the world. Yeah. You need, you need a character because then people can put themselves in that character, right? And they can yeah. see themselves go through it. Yeah. yeah. I like that advice. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, you are very far away, but chips and beer. Yeah, down the seaside. Yes. And if whether you come to England, Brittany is there or not. Brittany? It's, it's, um, uh, isn't that the region of France that's across the channel? Maybe I'm wrong. I don't Sorry. know. Okay. <laughs> I'm always wondering who that really is. bad right now. Brittany. Brittany. But the, if you come to England, right, come to yeah. Essex, we'll okay. go to the seaside, we'll have yeah. chips and beer, and I'll yeah. take your kit box in as well, we'll have a little punch oh, mouth. Oh, shit. Okay. You will love it. 
I won't hit you. Oh, that's fine. We'll record it and put that online and people will find much pleasure in me getting my (laughs) ass handed to me. I'm not good. I swear to you, I'm not good. I'm not good at it. (laughs) You'll probably knock me out by accident. Oh, no, no. I don't want that on the internet. (laughs) It's the last thing I need. (laughs) That would definitely get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. No, I'm only joking. A chips and beer on the seafoam would be good if you're ever on this side of the pond. I very much appreciate that. And next time I have... Chips are just French fries, right? But because you guys hate the French, you don't call them French fries, right? No, that's not the reason. Our chips are actually better than French fries. Okay. French fries are like this big. Yeah. Yeah. Much bigger. Okay, Much better. So they're they're discs, like rounded, curvatured, uh, heliolithic. Not always. Not always. Rounds? Okay. Not always. They come in... Not no, not wedges. Oh, they come. They come in different forms. Depends how the potato's been chopped up, really. Okay. So you need that. You need to soak them in vinegar, and drink some beer. Oh, vinegar. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Famous artist Bertie Rose. Thank you for your time. It was a wonderful conversation. Cheers for the chat.